0: Good evening. good evening. Welcome to Tuesday Evening Chapel. Week two, you still look good. You still look good. That's right. And you still have a 4.0 unless you've gotten some homework back. We are, we are here to hear from the Lord, hear from the one who wants to purify us. So I need for you to uh, stand with me and let's say this, our theme together. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's say it one more time. Hear my Lord, purify me. Let's pray. Amen. Amen. You've heard our praise, Father. Thank you for listening. We've sensed your grace, Father. Thank you for giving. And we pray now that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts May they be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For you are holy. Amen. You may be seated. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 8, chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, we're going to start right with the first verse. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs. Each had six wings, with two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another the, the song we just sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory, amen? amen. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Better translated, my eyes have seen Yahweh, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth, and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving, make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, for how long, O Lord? And he answered, until the cities lie ruined. Until inhabit and, and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave their stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. The word of the Lord. There really aren't enough words to describe everything that happened that day. See, Isaiah was mourning the loss of King Uzziah and had been for a while. Uzziah had been a good king and then he'd become a proud king and then he'd become a rebellious king and finally he he was a king with leprosy. So Isaiah was grieving for the loss of good King Uzziah, but he was also grieving for the failures of Uzziah and the disease of Uzziah that finally took his life. Isaiah's heart had been heavy for a long, long time. And this vision of the Lord, it really came out of nowhere. Isaiah wasn't looking for it, hadn't planned on it, but it certainly was glorious. The visions and the wonders, the scenes and the sounds, the spectacle and the grandeur just took his breath away. But the vision also made Isaiah uneasy. In fact, the longer he watched, the more the vision prompted a sense of sinfulness and uncleanness. Isaiah became acutely aware of his failures and his shortcomings of his self-righteousness and his flawed humanity, and he wanted to run. He wanted to hide, but there, was there, but there he was in the middle of a vision of a smoke-filled temple in the company of praising and singing flying angels in the midst of the very presence of the Lord of hosts. There, there wasn't anywhere to go. And before he could stop himself, Isaiah blurted out the words and feelings of guilt and shame that come with being in the presence of a Holy God. Woe to me, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Woe to me. What was Isaiah feeling in the moment? Well, take the embarrassment of being caught for doing something wrong, and then wrap that up with the sorrow of disappointment that comes when you disappoint someone you love. Add to that the woundedness that comes from a broken heart and then the sense of nakedness that comes from being fully exposed Combine all that and you'll begin to get a glimpse of what Isaiah felt when he saw the Lord in the vision that day. What else could he say? I've had it. I'm done. Well, we know the rest of the story, don't we? It's a rhetorical question, but I'd like you to say yes anyway. We know the rest of the story, don't we? Okay, thank you. If you've been around the church for any length of time, I hope that you've heard it more than once. And besides, we just finished reading the passage, and I know you were listening. So now is as good a time as any to change the direction of the message. Now is as good a time as any to remind us that even though the narrative here is told from Isaiah's vantage point, he's not the star of the story. He's not. The angels are not. King Uzziah is not. The tribe of Judah is not. The vision with all of its wonder. The imagery with all of its meaning. The calling with all of its promise. And the prophecy with all of its troubles. Everything that happens in this chapter points to the Lord. The passage declares the glory and the majesty of our very holy God and his love for all humanity. See, this is a God who, has chose, who had chosen to reveal himself to a rebellious king and, and a disobedient people. This is a God who intentionally intersected with a soon-to-be prophet, Isaiah. Isaiah. This is a God who makes it possible for that prophet, a guy just like you and me, to fulfill his calling. He is a God who cares more about the nation of Israel, more about the tribe of Judah than they care about him. And he continues to take steps to bring him to, bring them to himself. He is the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Can't do that with a word, but it's Yahweh. He is the Lord, seated on his throne, lofty, exalted. He is the God whom the angels praised as holy, holy, holy. He is Yahweh, Sabaoth, Lord of hosts. The passage declares the glory and the majesty of our holy God and his love for all humanity. Amen. Amen. So, but why should we care about what the passage says? What does it have to do with us? Well, First, we should care because it tells us that God is holy. And and we know that he is not just because the angels say so. Amen? Just making sure you're tracking with me. One commentator said when he was describing this passage, he says, here is the one who is ethically pure, who is absolutely upright, upright, who is utterly true. Ethically pure, absolutely upright, utterly true. We can't even begin to find a comparison to that. The best I could recall is that old Ivory soap commercial that it's 99 and 44 100% pure and it's just soap. The Lord of hosts is ethically pure and absolutely upright and utterly true. And another commentator wrote about this that God reveals his holiness by his decisions and by his actions. We know that he's holy because of the way that he behaves. Throughout the book that bears his name, the prophet Isaiah declares, thus says the Lord to the tribe of Judah. He takes the first step in all of those prophecies, trying to call those people back to him. He longs for them to listen to his warnings. He longs for them to embrace his promises. He wants them to be a blessed nation so that the world through them could be blessed. God is holy, ethically pure, absolutely upright, utterly true. And we see it in everything he says and he does. Amen? Amen. Now it should be said here that there isn't some definition of holy that God has to measure up to. There is no cosmic definition in a dictionary someplace that says, holy, here's what it looks like. God defines by his character what it means to be holy. God defines by his behavior what it means to be holy. God defines by everything that he says that day, said that day to the prophet Isaiah, what it means to be holy. There is no external measurement Everything and everyone who even thinks about being holy has to be compared to him. We also know from this passage that God wants, that this holy God wants all of us to be holy. Did you know that? That that holy God, this holy God wants all of us to be holy, everyone. Everybody in the room, everybody that's not in the room, Everybody that we know and all the rest of the people that we know, don't know, he wants all of them to be holy. Now I think it's probably easy, easy for us to, to think about the folks that we don't know and that he wants them to be holy. But I want you to think about your neighbor or the person that cut you off on the way down Academy this evening. or the person who just continually gets under your skin. He wants them to be holy too. But probably most difficultly is he wants everyone here to be holy. No exceptions. No one's disqualified. There isn't anything that we've done that changes his mind. He wants us to be holy. From the time of the fall through the end of the age, it is God's intention that every human being become whole and holy. So he makes himself known to us. He reveals himself to us so that there's no mistaking what he wants us to be when he says, you shall be holy unto me, for I, the Lord, am holy. No mistake. He set the mark. One commentator said it best. He said, God does not reveal himself to destroy, excuse me, God does not reveal himself to us to destroy us, but to redeem us. Let me say it again. God does not reveal himself to us to destroy us, but to redeem us. Now, just think about Isaiah again. No reason at all that he should have been still standing after he'd seen God. None. And then think of all the other accounts in the Bible when God makes himself known to men and women so that he can redeem them. He, appears to, he appeared to Abraham and he wrestled with Jacob. He spoke to Moses in a burning bush and walked in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He made his presence known to Zechariah the father of John the Baptist. He made his will known to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He revealed his glory to the first Christian martyr, Stephen. And then a few days later, let Paul hear his voice on the road to Damascus. And ultimately, ultimately, he revealed himself through his son to us. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God does not reveal himself to us to destroy us, but to redeem us. And then finally, finally this passage tells us that this holy God who wants all of us to be holy will do what it takes to purify us. He'll do what it takes to purify us. See, in Isaiah's case, it's a hot coal off the altar. I don't know if it's ever happened again, but I know it happened here. For all of humanity, it was a cross and a resurrection. For the early church and for, the, and for those of us on the other side of that resurrection, it was the day and days of Pentecost. God will do what it takes to purify us. I heard this put another way this past Sunday. The text for my pastor's message came from Paul's closing words to to the church in Thessalonica, Thessalonica. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful and he will he will do it. The holy God who wants all of us to be holy will do what it takes to purify us. So what do we do now? I mean what do we do with what we know? Our understandings of God are wide and varied. Some of us in this room have known him or known about him for a long, long time. And while we are aware that we're just getting started, we've come to learn many things about God, and they are a wonder. And there's some other folks in this room who have only recently gotten acquainted with God. You know that he's changed your life. You know that he's turned your life right side up. And you know a little bit about him, but the one thing you do know is that you want to know him more. Amen? But even though our understandings of God may vary, there is one thing that all of us know for sure. However little or however much we know of God, we know we're not like him. We know that there are miles between who he is and who we are. One writer put it this way, in the presence of God, degrees of sin become irrelevant. It is the holiness of God which reveals our true condition, not our comparison with anybody else. Acknowledging the difference between God and us brings us to a point of decision What will we do now that we know again that God is holy and we are not? What will we do now that we know again that God is complete and we are in process? What will we do now that we know again that God is pure and we need to be purified? What will we do now? while I was studying for this message, came across some great insight. This one in particular, insight into all that took place the day that Isaiah had that vision of the Lord. And the writer described what was going on behind everything that was going on then, but he also describes what happens now. So Vic, if you'll give me that first slide, I want you to see this with me when God takes away the iniquity and sin in which we have lived for years the experience is a wrenching and searing one but more deeply what causes sin and iniquity it is that arrogant self-sufficiency which refuses to bow the knee and then the rest of it that is the ultimate uncleanness of which Isaiah had been accusing his people and now finds resident in himself. This spirit never gives up without a fight. Apart from the fires of self-surrender and divine surgery, the clean heart is an impossibility. Apart from the fires of self-surrender and define surgery the clean heart is an impossibility Isaiah declared to the Lord of hosts I am ruined but God said no you're not no you're not let me purify you and he did So what will we say to the Lord of hosts? Are we willing to go through the fires of self-surrender? Are we open to God doing divine surgery? What will we say to the holy God who wants all of us to be holy and who will do whatever it takes to purify us? Here am I, Lord. Purify me. Stand. We are your people. We are your people, and we say to you, in new ways. Purify us. Purify us. Purify us. Purify us. Purify us. Purify. Us. Purify We pray it in the name of the God who is a holy God and who will do whatever it takes to purify us. Amen. We're dismissed.